So I'm Hannah Ryder, CEO of Development Reimagined, and I'm here with Ovigwe Eguegu, who is also one of our policy analysts at Development Reimagined and a China-Africa relations uh, expert. Um, today, we're not talking about China-Africa relations, we're talking about UN reform. Um, Ovigwe, why don't you start by telling us about why we're talking about UN reform today? Yeah, UN reform is very important, particularly as we are, we are witnessing events uh, in line with 75th anniversary of its formation. You know, the world knows that the UN is the best format to tackle global problems. And as it is now, it's not in its best, you know, put, um, place to actually deal with this problem. So, and many, many times, if you look at how things are done in the UN, the rationale behind the creation and where the world is today is very different from 1945. You know, you have, you know, over 80 countries have gained independence since 1945. You know, there are new powers that have been that are rising and are still rising, the likes of Turkey, you know, India, and these countries feel that five member seats in the in the UN Security Council permanent seats is not democratic enough. And even the other 10 that are temporary still not democratic enough. So they are real political and also you know, whether economic, economic and uh, for, for the case of demo, democratization, real reasons why the world feels the UN needs to be reformed. And there have been several proposals, but I think maybe you will be the best place to actually put us, you know, through the, what we, we have done at Development Reimagine, the proposals compared with, you know, other uh, earlier proposals from other sources. Yeah. Well, absolutely. You see, the typical the typical ideas for UN reform of the Security Council um, are about enlarging the permanent membership of the UN. So the idea of we've got five permanent members now, so why don't we add on Turkey? Why don't we add on India? There's even proposals for adding on two African um, permanent members. But we have been think we thought look why why is this why is there this concept of permanent membership what is the rationale for that and you know back in 1945 there was this idea that the permanent that the, the five permanent members were going to be permanent because they were going to be responsible and capable but are they necessarily responsible and capable now are we what is our criteria for responsibility and capability and are there other countries who could be just as responsible and capable if not more than the current p5 so we wanted to turn that concept on its head um, and instead think about well what would it look like if a security council was fully open and wide open to different countries competing to be on it, just like the temporary members do right now, but allow those temporary members, well, allow everybody to be temporary, but maybe for a longer period, you know, for example, five years rather than just two years, which is what the current arrangement is now. And you would have a, you know, a real conversation, a real discussion internationally. What do we want out of the Security Council members uh, rather than just having to accept we've got these five permanent members who do and don't act very well in lots of in lots of different ways. But I guess the question is, uh, Ovigwe, what do you think about what the P5 might might feel themselves? Yeah, the P5 countries are used to decades and decades of power and, inf and influence. That veto power in particular allows them to, you know, really shape how the, glo the global community or what direction is going to move towards. 
And then if you look at the power balance, the power imbalances between you know the members of the of the P5 and non-P5 countries, it's still a huge gap. Whether militarily, economically, you know, uh, they 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 still up, still hold preponderance over many countries. But the dynamics is still different because if you if you in 1945, yeah, if you look back in 1945, 10, yeah, 10% exactly. of member states, you know. The P5 is accounting for 10% of member, UN member states and 50% of the world population. That is huge. I mean, there was real figures behind their influence then. But since then, today you have the P5 countries representing just 26% of the world population and 3% of UN member states. So there's been there's been a decline in, in, in as it were when it comes to their influence politically. And with more countries, they feel that you know there needs to be a democratization of power you know that the un security council wields and if the country if all of these countries that are non-un members continue to press on i believe to avoid look, looking like tyrants of the world the p5 countries would be open to you know democratizing power indeed so i think you know the the fact is we just wanted to put this proposal out there so that we start thinking, you know, 75 years later, what does a decolonized UN, in a sense, look like and have just more alternative proposals on the table? Um, hopefully in uh, 2021 in particular, you know, we've got a few months uh, of the year left post uh, COVID-19. Um, we'll be able to start a political process and that there will be a political process which will look at these kinds of proposals in a lot more depth and think, well, how feasible is this? What yeah. is the momentum that can be built around it? And, you know, even if it takes five years, you know, that's still progress. Um, and and at least we'll have got that conversation going. True, true, yeah. Reform is hard, but for the sake of effectiveness,